I would really encourage you sometime this week to spend time, which I know you have enough time um, because you probably watch some TV or look at your phone sometimes, um, to read two chapters of the Bible this week. But I would encourage you to read John chapters 18 and 19. It's typically what we refer to as the trial of Jesus. I actually don't think Jesus is the one on trial here. I think that Pilate is the one on trial. And I'll talk a little bit about that um, after I read this with you. This is John 18, verses 33 through 38. Pilate went back into the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you say this on your own, or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. So you are a king, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I was born and came into the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Pilate asked. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. About 10 to 20 years after this event, we would understand more about Pilate because the role that he played was given a new title. Essentially, Pilate was the commander of the Calvary. We kind of have this idea of him being like a really, really big name official. And probably he was pretty big name. People would have known him. The Calvary was a big deal. And he was the commander of it. He had a place to stay in the palace. And somehow he ended up being caught in this scene uh, during this time. And so we know of him by the power that he held in this particular moment. But in general, he was the commander of the Calvary. And I want to set the scene for you a little bit about this story in a kind of literal way. Imagine that this stage was clear and that we were about to watch a play. And the play would be the scene that we just read. On this side of the stage would be the inner courts of the palace that, that Pilate got to stay in. It would be the living quarters and the place where Pilate would meet with people within his own home. And then this side of the stage is where the Jewish leaders would be staying. And they wouldn't be staying, they'd be standing. It would be an outside porch of sorts. And they wouldn't be going into Pilate's because that would make them ritually unclean. So they were staying outside of Pilate's place. And Jesus is in there. And Pilate is stuck in the middle. And if you do uh, decide to read both chapters of John 18 and 19, you'll see that Pilate goes in and out, goes back in to meet with Jesus and comes back out to meet with the, the Jewish leaders no less than seven times over those two chapters. He is a man that is caught in the middle and he's wavering on which way he should go. He comes in here and he meets with Jesus and it's like, What's wrong? Like, what, what in the world did you do to cause these people to want me to make sure that you're executed? 
And he can't find anything that Jesus really did to cause them to be that upset. He's like, this seems like a total overreaction. But then he goes back out here and they start to tell him of some of the things that Jesus has said and done. And where they really get him is they say, this guy, Jesus, he's like a rebel. He's raising up people and it's going to cause problems for you because Rome is going to hear about it. Caesar is actually going to hear about this. And Pilate, if you don't make this decision, you are the one who's going to be on the hook for it. And Pilate would walk back over and talk to Jesus. And it, he was just straight up caught in the middle of this drama that was playing out. He wavers back and forth. Trying to decide between what is right and what is politically expedient. Trying to do the right thing or cave to the cultural pressures that are around him. And I think that it's easier, at least for me, I, don't, I won't speak for you, but it's easier for me to relate to Pilate in this scene than it is to relate to Jesus. I think that the reason it's that way is because I find myself torn between what it is that I know I should be doing, what I should be about, and what culture wants me to do, and what the culture wants me to be about. I want to be all in for Jesus. I truly believe that following in the way of Jesus could literally save the planet. When we're butting up against nuclear wars and all sorts of crazy things, and it has happened in the past and it will happen in the future, if people with a clear mind who say they're followers of Jesus would do the hard work of following Jesus, I think in a real and literal way, it could save the earth. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him, there was no idea in the ancient Near East of making a mental ascent to belief. That is a modernist way of thinking. You think through the logic of it, and if you can get your brain to think it, then you can get your body to believe it. And in the ancient Near East, it was pre-modern. They didn't understand the world that way. And they would say, you don't get to tell people what you believe. You show people what you believe. So whosoever believes in Jesus, well, you'll see it. Jesus himself says, Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. There's another place where Jesus says, the person who accepts the truth does what I say to do and then they know the truth of it because they've tested it out and the truth will set them It's in the doing that we see the truth of it. Pilate is stuck. He wants to do the Jesus thing, but he also wants to do this other thing. It's kind of like us on Friday. Well, maybe not all of us. 
Black Friday, the national holiday of spending. We know that that's not what this holy season we're about to enter into is about. Right? But we also know that you can, well, about a $110 pair of shoes for $25 on Friday. Impressed? I waited in line forever for them. We know that that is not what it is about. It being this holy season or it being this holy life that we are privileged to live. But somehow we forget and we think that one more gift given that will be forgotten in three months, if we're lucky three months, is going to make a difference. And we, we think that more stuff accumulated is going to make a difference. And we know that's not right. We're like Pilate standing in the middle saying, I know that it's not about the stuff. I know that it's not about the job. I know that it's not about the money. I know that it's not about the gifts that I can purchase to give to the person that they're going to forget soon. I know that it's not, but oh my gosh, it sure feels like it is. Because a lot of money has been spent making us think that it is about that stuff. And we're stuck in the middle for some reason. I think we're all equally frustrated by it. I think we're all equally sickened by it. But I think we do it because we've been taken captive by a false idea that things will make us happy. It's almost like an insatiable urge to collect more stuff. It doesn't really matter how much money you spend on it. You could buy everything you have at a thrift store, but I think the urge is still there, this insatiable desire to have more. Because some, for some reason, we think that that makes up who we are. But the reality is, you know who you are. You can feel yourself deep within yourself. We understand that the faces that we look around and see and the warm bodies that we're sitting next to or across from, that that's just an appearance of who a person really is on the inside. And I think that if Jesus, if Pilate had said, Jesus, tell me what you think of me right now, I think Jesus would have said something along the lines of, Pilate, you are enough. You are enough. You don't need to worry about what all of these people are concerned about. That's their own stuff falling out on you. You, you don't have to pick that up. You can leave it behind and live the life that is deep within you. You can do that because you are enough. You are created by the Creator who loves you deeply. You are enough. About 10 to 12 years ago, I think it is, I came across an author named Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer is a Quaker. He's an educator. He's an activist. And the first book of his that I read is, is entitled, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation. And, and the premise of the book is this, that the word vocation and the word voice 
come from the same root. And that you know you have found your vocation when your life speaks. And I don't think I have to do much description to explain to you what that feels like. It's like the, the you that is inside of you. My, like, I feel like it resides right in here for me. It could be in your head. I, I don't know. But like the you that is you comes out and speaks when you have found your vocation. Some of us are fortunate. And the job that we do, the career that we have found, the craft that we are part of is our vocation. Our life speaks in the midst of that. A lot of teachers would tell you, like, my vocation, like, my life speaks through that. A lot of pastors, and I would hope all of them would say, like, my life is my vocation. It speaks through that. But you could be a carpenter who loves to create things, but that's not your vocation. Your vocation is coaching youth football or youth, youth softball. Because somehow you can pour your life into someone else and that gives your life voice. You could be an accountant whose vocation is the art that you produce that speaks to people and says something and adds beauty to the world around you. Pilate was not letting his life speak and Jesus was giving him the opportunity. Pilate was on trial. Parker Palmer writes in his book, Seeking a path more purposeful than accumulating wealth, holding power, winning at competition, or securing a career, I had started to understand that it is indeed possible to live a life other than one's own. That it is indeed possible to live a life other than one's own. Pilate didn't know whose life he wanted to live, whether he wanted to live his life or he wanted to live their life or he wanted to live his life. He was stuck. Palmer says that gradually he came to understand that for him, that meant before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, Listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truths and values you have decided to live up to, let your life tell you what truths you embody, what values you represent. And I hope to get to meet Parker Palmer. I have a friend who is mentored by him, and she tells me that she can set it up where I get to spend some time with him. And if and when I do, I'm going to make one suggestion to him. That instead of saying, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you, I would say, before you tell Ju Jesus what you intend to do with your life, listen to what Jesus intends to do with you. Except, my theology gets in the way of believing that completely. Because I believe that we have free will that God says, go, run, do, enjoy. I, I've told you before about my friend who was accepted to several physical therapy schools and she couldn't decide which one to go to and she was having dinner at our house with Michelle and I and she was like, I just don't know which one God wants me to go to. And I, I really was a little shocked and I said, what do, you, what do you mean, which one? You got accepted to three or four schools, pick one. That's the one God wants you to go to. I think God is sitting back saying, her name was Ellen. Ellen, pick one. Let's go. It's going to be fun. 
Surprise me. We sometimes bind ourselves up with this idea that if we don't go the exact path that God wants for our life, we're going to sin and mess up. And God is saying, no, you have life within you and you are enough. I will be with you. Whatever choice you make, as long as you're working for the good, I am with you and will join with you in that work. And that is life-giving. You are enough. Before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. God has placed life within us, and you can feel it. I know that right now, in the seat you're sitting in, you can feel who you are. Live. Live that life. Because you are enough. You don't have to buy more, collect more to prove anything. You're not defined by the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the job that you have, the friends that you've accumulated, the way your family interacts with you. You're not defined by those things. You are defined by the fact that you are created by God and the life that you have is put in you by God. You are a child of God. So, as you live and breathe and have your being, may you do it to fullness. May you do it with freedom, knowing that you are set free from needing to perform for someone else. Because God loves you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.